Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We are going through the book of Galatians, and we come again now to this very important part of our service. We open up God's Word and allow His truth to work in our hearts. Uh, Galatians is one of those interesting books, one of the first, probably the first book that Paul the Apostle wrote, um, and uh, wrote that maybe, maybe 20 years or so after his conversion. Thereabouts. Uh, it's been great to just look through the early chapters, and we're sort of just moving through it slowly and taking sort of passage by passage as we see what he's uh, telling the Church of Galatians, which is the same for us today as well. God's word is timeless. Um, let me ask this question: Have you ever disagreed with someone? Gee, yeah, like it happens every day, doesn't it? Actually, on the way to church, I disagreed. Well, you know, this morning, was I wearing the right shirt? You know, sometimes I dress myself though, it's okay. <laughs> and we don't have lots of disagreements over that. <laughs> True. Thank you, thank you. Disagreements, we have disagreements. An interesting fact with disagreements is some people appear to enjoy them and other people actually want to avoid them at all costs. We're sort of going to talk a little bit about that later, but today we are going to see Paul disagree with Peter. Two apostles disagree with each other, and Paul's going to use this disagreement here to keep the gospel front and centre with the Galatian church as he deals with an ongoing issue there that he's addressing in this letter. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 14 verses from there as we begin to set the scene. Verse 1, then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me, through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only, they asked, us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can come together today and open up your timeless word. We ask and pray now the Holy Spirit as we think about what's happening here with this um, discussion, Lord, with this thing that's dividing the church with disagreements about circumcision and the law of Moses and the disagreement we see between Peter and Paul. Please open our eyes and hearts up now uh, to see the gospel as front and centre and to learn how to disagree well. There will be disagreements, Lord. Help us to learn how to disagree well, we ask. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little bit of recap for Galatians, for where we are. Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, addressed to churches around the Roman province of Galatia. Uh, these are towns, that's modern-day Turkey, uh, as in case you're thinking, where is Galatia? Uh, these are towns that Paul visited on his first missionary journey, going into uh, local synagogues, preaching Jesus Christ as the Messiah, preaching the gospel. People were saved and then formed into these churches uh, in and around the province of Galatia in these sort of major regional towns. Uh, These churches, though, since Paul's left there, have had some false teachers or false teaching uh, getting around and influencing amongst the people who are gathering in these churches, actually causing quite a disturbance among them since Paul has left. There's now disagreements amongst them, uh, with some people actually falling back into their old way of life and sort of falling back that way because the false teachers said, no, you need to go back this and go back to the Old Testament thinking. Paul hears about this. And now writes to them a letter to refocus them back onto Jesus alone as our salvation. In this passage, with Paul, as we saw last week, he validates his apostleship again with the Galatians. He was accepted by the other apostles back in Jerusalem. And also reminds them of the freedom of the gospel that Jesus has given to us through his life, death and resurrection. Paul also relays here, as we saw in these last few verses, a disagreement that he has with Peter, another apostle, to highlight this very issue that is confronting the Galatians at this point in time. So he uses this disagreement he's had with Peter to actually bring this to their minds to reinforce the gospel freedom that we now have. Here's where we're going to go this morning as we gather. We'll inevitably have disagreements as Christians. In this, the gospel must never be compromised, but the gospel must frame how we disagree as well. It's inevitable. They will happen. Gospel must never be compromised, but the gospel must frame how we disagree with others. Let's jump in first and think about the Galatian problem again. It wasn't unique just to the Galatians that they were dealing with at that particular time. The, what the, the problem the Galatians had was common across all the churches that the apostles had started in those early times. As we've seen recently, uh, Paul has been born again on the Damascus Road, and that Damascus Road experience with a revelation of Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. He spent three years in Arabia studying the Old Testament, and he's seeing Jesus, as it were, leap off the pages of the Old Testament everywhere as he begins to see that Christ has revealed those promises. Along with this, um, Jesus has given other direct revelation to Paul as well. 
So with that, Paul then travels and he goes into these Jewish synagogues and he preaches Jesus to them from the Old Testament. Now, let's understand a little bit of the background here, which will actually help us think or understand why do these Galatians have this sort of drama with them. The background of the Jews that Paul is speaking to as he goes around is this. Firstly, the Jews understand from the Old Testament they are God's chosen nation to bring the Messiah through to be the saviour of the world. In their sense, to actually save the nation of Israel. They are God's chosen nation to bring the Messiah. They're God's special people. They also understand this. God ordains circumcision for all males as a sign that they are the covenant people of God. That's this other big thing for the Jewish nation. The covenant of circumcision. It's a sign that they are the covenant people of God for his promises for them and through them for the rest of the world. The third thing is, God's given Israel the law, or the law of Moses. How do you now live as the covenant people? How do you now live as God's chosen nation where the Messiah is going to come through? So these three things formed religious and cultural life for all Jews. It was just everything was in and around this particular area. So they were saturated, as it were, in being God's chosen people, the covenant of circumcision, and also the law of Moses. And not just for one or two hundred years, for thousands of years, millennia, they are actually, that's where they're saturated by this truth. This is their life as a Jewish nation. Everything is lived around that cultural context. From birth to adulthood to death, they live, eat, sleep and breathe those things. God's chosen people, the covenant of circumcision and the law of Moses. So you can imagine when Paul goes to these synagogues and preaches that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus has fulfilled all of the law and the sacrifices that Moses talks about in the Old Testament, this would be a massive change for them to embrace after thousands of years of living, waiting and living this other way. God's chosen people, the covenant of circumcision and the law of Moses. It's a massive thing. You don't shake those things off easily when you've been steeped in that for generation after generation after generation. It's a big deal, a really big deal. But so then for the Galatian false teachers, they come in and say, no, we need to go back to this again. Where Paul's preached the gospel to say that Christ has fulfilled all this, we don't need to do this now. This has all been pointing towards Jesus. The false teachers, no, 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 we, we, we can't just let it go that easily. We've got to go back to that and it's got to be that plus Jesus. And look in verse 4 here, where Paul's even pointing this out. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, Yet because of false teachers, brothers, sorry, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us back into slavery again. They want to drag us back to where, where what Jesus has already fulfilled. So that's what Paul's up against. This is the main problem he's got here. It's this Jesus plus something else equals salvation. And this is causing the disagreement. But you can also see there when it's been thousands of years, you don't shake it off easily. It's very easy to go back to it again. Paul's solution, though, is to bring their focus back onto Jesus alone as our salvation. And as he said there in verse 4, the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. He's trying to bring that focus back to them, get to see that Christ has set us free 
from all the requirements of the law. And part of Paul here, as it were, reassuring the Galatians that circumcision and other Old Testament things are no longer required, he talks about there as Titus, a Gentile believer who wasn't circumcised. Now let me just stop there for a moment. If you're with us for the first time, you might think, if I just stepped into a medical clinic, you're talking about circumcision and uncircumcision? In the cultural moment of the day, that's how they referred to each other, particularly from a Jewish nation. You were either uncircumcised or you were circumcised, which highlights again the big deal that circumcision was for them. Circumcision was the Jewish people. Uncircumcision was anybody who wasn't a Jew. So rest assured you're not in a medical clinic this morning, okay? That's understanding why this is a big deal. They talk about it in these terms because it is a big, big deal for them. Paul says in verse 1, I brought Titus with me, uncircumcised, to the other apostles, to Jerusalem, which is probably the circumcision capital of Israel. And in verse 3, Paul says this, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So the apostles, including Peter and James and John, the heavyweights of that particular time, as far as apostles concerned, had no issue with Paul bringing Titus, an uncircumcised believer, into their presence. What's that indicating? It's all good. Jesus has fulfilled all those requirements of the law. This is no longer required. It's a non-issue. It's not a problem at all. The good news is that Jesus, through his death on the cross, has fulfilled all of that for us. It looks good there. Paul goes on then to say this, that we aren't going to give into a man-made false gospel at all. Now, to help us see that, I want to just go back through verses 3 to 5 again, and you'll see where Paul's going with this idea of Titus. Verse 3 again. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers, false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Verse 5, to them, to those false brothers, and anybody else who might have been thinking that way, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul's refocusing the Galatians as they read this and us back onto the freedom that Jesus has achieved for us through the gospel. He has set us free by fulfilling all those requirements. For Paul here, he wants the freeing power, the liberating power of the gospel to not be compromised at all with anything. As he says there, not for a moment. We did not yield for a moment because we're not going to compromise here on the gospel and the freedom that has brought us. So Paul's focus is to get back on what Christ has done and we're not going to compromise on the finished work of Jesus. For the next few verses in Galatians 2, we see that again this full acceptance of Paul and the gospel he preached by the other, the other apostles as well. They're all in one accord and they all agree with him. Same gospel, one going to the circumcised and the other going to the uncircumcised. Then we get to verse 11. And things change. Now we have a situation on hands that threatens the truth of the gospel, threatens the the freedom that Christ has brought, the freedom that he now brings into our lives. We actually have a disagreement here between Paul and Peter, both apostles, both leaders in the church. 
And what Paul does is he retells this event with Peter in Antioch, which happens to be where Jess is uh, uh, right now. And this event is right in the zone of this current drama in Galatia and where it actually fits with them. Here's what happened. Peter's in Antioch and he's teaching the gospel and he's teaching all of his freedom that Christ has brought to us. He's delivering that from the Old Testament and saying, hey, Jesus has fulfilled all this. And what he's doing, is, which is a Jewish no-no, he's actually eating meals with Gentiles or uncircumcised people at that particular time. So having fellowship such as a meal with a Gentile under the old law was just a no-go zone. But Peter's doing a wonderful thing. He's actually demonstrating this is the freedom of the gospel. We're no longer bound or constrained by these things. Christ has set us free. It's like a real-life demonstration. This is the gospel working in us, changing us. But in the meantime, while Peter's been doing this, a group of converted Jews have come down from Jerusalem and these guys are still very strong on circumcision and the law of Moses and keeping the law to be a Christian. So it's Jesus plus. They head to Antioch to see what's happening because they hear about some churches not far away. So they go to Antioch to see what's happening. When they arrive, Peter becomes fearful. He fears the circumcision party, it says there. Maybe because these were men of prominence, I don't know. But all of a sudden he was fearful of what they might say when they saw what Peter was doing. So what does Peter do? He actually bows to that pressure, the fear of this circumcision party, and says, I'm going to stop beating with the Gentiles. I, I just I want to save face with these people. I'm going to go back to the old way, as it were. What's Peter, the apostle, doing when he does this? Well, Paul says he's out of step with the gospel. He's not living a transformed gospel life. He's actually acting like a hypocrite, saying one thing and living another thing. His life's not matching up what he's saying. He's saying one thing and he's living in a complete different way. And what's happening by that example of him living a different way? Others in the church are joining him and they're all going down this pathway. No, no, we'll keep away from the Gentiles and we'll think about circumcision and think about the law. Paul calls this out. In quite strong terms, verse 14, he says this, But when I saw that their conduct, their life's actions, was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, Cephas is Peter, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? A little bit complicated, but Paul's saying this, Peter, if you by birth are a Jew and can now live like a Gentile in the sense that I'm no longer bound by those rules because Christ has set me free. So if you by birth are Jew but now can live free of those rules because Jesus has freed us, Peter, how can you by your current actions, what you're doing now since these men have come up from Jerusalem, how can you by these current actions and teach by those same actions as it were living back under the law again, How can you tell the Gentiles they also must live like that? That's not right, Peter. You know the truth, but you're not living the truth out. Paul is saying, Peter, your life's actions are out of step with the truth of the gospel. You are not reflecting the truth. You're not living out that truth. Peter, you're acting like a hypocrite. Strong words. Really strong words. There's a disagreement there. 
Paul's using this event to help the Galatians to see that Jesus, through the gospel, has brought us freedom. That we don't have to live up to a certain standard or do certain things to gain or achieve or earn salvation. It's not that. It's what Jesus alone has completed for us at the cross. And what we see here with Peter, he slipped up. He's caved to the pressure. Fearful of this circumcision party, he's just fallen over. Now here's what I want us to see something else today as we think about that, where where Paul's keeping the gospel front and centre and the freedom the gospel brings. And the other thing I want us to think about and see here is that Peter and Paul have disagreed. In verse 14, basically Paul's saying to Peter, I don't agree with how you're living. This is not right. I disagree with it. This event or disagreement, actually that the scholars believe, may have triggered the Acts 15 passage that uh, Amelia read so well for us before. Actually, they had to deal with this whole thing. So if you go back to Acts 15, you'll see they're trying to thrash out this discussion. And that's the letter they write to all the churches. So it's become a major thing here and they're, they're dealing with that. But nonetheless, it's a disagreement. And there's quite a few of these in the Bible as you read through the New Testament. Um, it's a significant one, though, because it's involving two leaders of the church. And I can imagine when the Galatians are reading this letter, thinking, that's Paul and Peter. These are well-known figures in the church, and they've disagreed. But, but in the end, we know Paul was right, because he was upholding the truth of the gospel. But they, they still went through a disagreement. Now, I wonder sometimes what people outside the church might think of people inside the church. Maybe they think we are just perfect. And we never have a disagreement. Everybody just loves each other and we just get along so well. If only they'd just come inside for a while, they'd realise, no, we're not quite like that. What are disagreements? They are a very unfortunate part of our everyday lives since the fall of Adam and Eve. It just happens. And church is no different. We have disagreements. They will happen and they will continue to happen. It just is now an unfortunate part of life. But I think there's a real teaching moment here as we think about this disagreement that Peter and Paul went through as well. And the thought is this, how does the gospel shape and transform the way we disagree about things in life? Because if we think about it, disagreements can be quite ugly, devastating. Uh, In life, sometimes we see disagreements where relationships are forever severed. It's amazing how that happens, even within families. Some will never speak to each other again, simply over a disagreement. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, family members, even friends sometimes. Something happens and the fallout is, well, I'm just never going to speak to them again. Over a disagreement. I mean, fortunately, I live in a family where we haven't experienced that. But I've spoken to many people who have, and I I can feel the pain as they actually relay what they're going through. I haven't spoken to my brother for 25 years, and he lives three streets away. We had this disagreement 25 years ago, and he will not talk to me. Devastating. How does the gospel shape the way we disagree? How can we disagree well and still remain connected even though we don't agree? Because I can assure you that Peter and Paul did disagree. They actually unified again after this because Peter came good. And then they did able to maintain a great relationship beyond that. So imagine the scenario. Someone has done something towards you or has said something about you to another person. 
and you believe it's, it's wrongly represented you. Now that's not the truth actually what you've said about me or what you've done towards me. And even and either it's not true or it hasn't happened the way others have communicated. So there's a sense where there's a disagreement now. And there's a sense where you think, I need to be able to speak to this person about this because this is not right, this is not true. I need to be able to share my differences with them. And you know straight away, this will be a hard conversation to have. Disagreements are never easy conversations to go through. Here's a couple of considerations we need to think about when it comes to disagreements. Firstly this, is the disagreement a genuine gospel compromise? In other words, is this like a really important thing about my life and about the truth of the gospel as in a, uh, a, a primary issue about our salvation? Is it really top level stuff like that? Because between Peter and Paul it was a gospel disagreement. Peter's actions were totally out of step with the gospel truth. If it is that, we must never compromise on the gospel truth. We must always hold firm and stay true to what the gospel says. So there can be no compromising if there's a disagreement. over. Sometimes you may have to part your ways, still in a loving way, if it's particularly over a gospel um, primary issue. If it's a secondary issue, say church doctrines as in mode of baptism or church governance or things like that, which aren't primary gospel issues, probably what you've got there is a difference of opinion or a difference of style or just a different way of looking at things. What's important when it comes to disagreements like that is secondary issues aren't hills to die on. Okay, if you get to a secondary issue, you don't have to actually, that doesn't have to be the hill, you've got to fly your flag and die. You can just agree to disagree and we see things differently and move on. And what's important is we think about that particular nature, sometimes people choose a hill to die on, some of us in our posture, in our attitude, are nearly looking for a fight. We're looking for agreement, we, we're just that way inclined. We want to fight it out. Some of us can be like that. Well, we need to have the grace and to know what to fight for and just what to let go of. Some of the other way, though. Some of us don't fight for anything. That's not good either. We need the grace to know when to make a stand and not to just keep flopping over in the wind every time a disagreement comes our way. There are some things you must make a stand for. Certainly, primary gospel convictions are those things. So we don't want you fighting for everything, but we don't want you running away from everything either. You've got to find that place in the middle. Here's a few thoughts that I think will help us to disagree well, think about some of those, and these ones now framed by the gospel, which will help us to honour Christ as we do that. I'll give some thoughts. I'm going to give you a scripture passage, which we're not going to bring up, but you can write that down if you're taking notes. Firstly, in disagreement. Firstly, and probably the most important thing, you're about to approach this person and you're about to have this conversation. Pray for God's grace. Pray for God's grace. When disagreeing and having a challenging conversation with somebody, pray earnestly for God's grace that you'll honour the Lord as you talk with them. And I mean, you need to pray for lots of grace if you're going to go into a tense conversation. Pray for God's grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Next one. Pray that you'll be truly a loving person. 
person. Uh, sorry, that you'll love the person you're disagreeing with. That's really important to pray about that. Lord, help me to love this person that I'm about to disagree with. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to love them genuinely, even though you disagree with them. Help me to love them. Help me to see them as another person made in the image of God. They're not my enemy. There's someone to love. And you need extra grace to love them in a disagreement. Because you're not going to go in there trying to beat them at all costs in this disagreement. The goal of our faith there is to love them. Ephesians 4.15 Here's another one in disagreeing. Remember this, you or I haven't got it all together yet. We might think we have, but we haven't got it all together yet. Tell yourself going into this hard, tense conversation, remind yourself, I'm a work in progress. I haven't got it all together myself. I'm still learning. I may see things that I disagree with, but Lord, help me to remain humble and understand I haven't made it yet myself as I go into this difficult conversation. I don't know it all. I haven't got it all right. Second Corinthians 3.18 will help for that one. Here's another one. Listen really well in the conversation you're about to have. Listen really well. Ask the Lord to help you to listen really well to the person you're approaching to intently try and understand their point of view. It's so easy for us to go into a disagreement and we've got blinkers on. All I'm thinking about is me. My agenda, my thoughts, me. Listen really, really well. Understand where they're coming from. This will do a couple of things with the person that you're in this disagreement with. First thing, they'll feel like they've been heard. And what does that mean? That means you respect them as a person. You're not discounting their different opinion. If you listen really well, they feel like I've been heard and there's respect there. Listen really well. And there's something else here which I heard of Paul Tripp a few years ago. If you're going to have a disagreement with someone and they're highly critical towards you and you know for sure that 95% of it is just dead wrong, probably 5% is right. And you need to hear that 5%. As hard as that is, probably 5% does apply to you and you need to actually take that on board, think about it and make some change in that. Even if 95% is wrong, most likely an element, maybe 5%, I need to listen to and I need to work through my own life. James 1.19 for that. Another one. Communicate your thoughts calmly. Ask the Lord to help you calmly ex- to speak and to express yourself to the other person that way. Maybe write down what you're thinking. Because that will help you keep your thoughts in order. And ask the Lord, please Lord, help me not to let my emotions take over in a disagreement. Whether going through in a ball of tears or getting super angry. Lord, please try and help me to keep self-control happening here through this disagreement. Because emotions can really take off like a freight train sometimes in those disagreements. Ephesians 4.29 helps with that. Next one. 
simply be as nice as you possibly can during the conversation. It goes a long way. Just be as nice as you possibly can through that conversation, holding many of those other things in place. Loving them, knowing you're not the full bottle yourself, a whole range. Just be as nice as you can. Pray for that grace. Galatians 5.22 picks that up. And when the discussion's over, and you may not have reached an agreeable position where you both agree now, you might agree to disagree. When the discussion's over... Go away and spend lots of time praying for that person you just had the discussion with. Praying what? Lord, help me to love them. God, would you bless that person? Please, Lord, help me not to harbour any bitter or angry thoughts towards them, even though we've ended up agreeing to disagree. Pray, Lord, please help me to maintain an attitude of love towards this person, even through the disagreement. Because sometimes in the process of the conversation, more things might surface, And it wants to start pulling all the triggers of anger and bitterness. Lord, please, help me to love that person even though I don't agree with them at this time. Finish the conversation like that. And and there's no guarantees you'll get the outcome you are hoping for because some people are are either willing to see it or they're not willing to see it. But they're the things I would take into a disagreement trying to actually set the best atmosphere where God can work in our hearts and lives through that. A couple other things though. Do not carry out your disagreement over email or messaging. That is a killer to go in the wrong direction. Do not do that. Emailing or messaging, massive big long emails or four or five screen sort of messages sent on telephones is dangerous. Because there's no context when you actually write so much script on a screen. They can't see your body language and they read it and they think that and then you get a reply back and think, I didn't mean them to think that when I sent that previous message. Don't do that. It will not help in the end to send this long sort of verbal message war over email or text message. All the cues of communication are missed, particularly body language if you're sending long messages backwards and forwards. Meet the person in person at all costs. Do it face-to-face if you can. That's what Peter and Paul did. They did it face-to-face. Now, back in those days, it was difficult sometimes because they were thousands of kilometres apart and they did have to do, do letters. But we don't have to be like that today. We've actually got modern transportation and we can get to places and we can meet with people. Maybe... You might need a phone call or a message, but a short one, to initiate the conversation. And it could be something like this. Hey, I'm just sensing we've had a disagreement between us over the last few weeks. I'd love to be able to meet up and just talk about it. And that's about all you need to write in the message and just see if they're keen to talk about it. And it might be a phone call. Hey, if they ring back or message back, can we meet? Can we meet somewhere? And actually talk about that with each other. Generally, in Western culture, we don't do well with this. We've actually lost the art of being able to sit down and talk through these things in a calm, rational and loving manner. Some people just don't want to, as I said before, and they're just happy to blow it up and just let it go. They're not willing to sit down and have this conversation. In Western culture, that is a really sad aspect of who we are. We can't actually sit down and talk through these things. As Christians, that should be 
achievable by us, by God's spirit dwelling within us and his love flowing through us, that I want to see the best for the person I'm disagreeing with, even though I might disagree with them. We don't do it well as a culture. But here's what Paul's trying to do here with the Galatians. He's trying to refocus them on Jesus again, even using these disagreements here, so we can disagree well. And when it comes to gospel issues, there's going to be no compromise, but we still disagree well. And when it's other issues, we still allow the gospel to frame the way that we do disagree because we're not going to get away from disagreements. But we can do them well. The gospel here is to unite us in love and to learn to disagree well, to talk it through. And I'm sure people outside the church, if they knew that we were disagreeing but saw the way that we did disagree... It would look like a very attractive community of people. They've got something here. They've got some power within that enables them and allows them to disagree in a way that they still remain well-connected. Have you had any disagreements that you think, hmm, I might need to go back and retalk that through with somebody? Maybe you're thinking of somebody right now and think, oh, I just totally messed that up. Maybe it's someone you just said, I'm not going to talk to him again. That's not where Jesus wants us to be. Jesus would want you to, if you're able to, connect with that person. Say sorry and just have that conversation and try and do your best to make amends. The gospel gives us the power for that. It could be a very humbling process, but it could be the most beautiful freeing process in your life as well. Because when we harbour those things, bitterness and angst just sits in our heart because we haven't actually sorted that disagreement out. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that we can uh, come before you and uh, let your words speak into our hearts again. Father, today we can think of disagreements we've all had really unkind words we've said to people. Sharp words, Lord. Angry words, bitter words. Maybe there's people in our lives, Lord, that we've just written them off and never going to speak to them again. We ask, Holy Spirit, please work in our hearts to learn to disagree well. To learn to Approach these difficult conversations with love, your love flowing through us, love for the other person. And Lord, sometimes we know it may not work out because they may not want to connect with us again. And Lord, that's hard, but there's nothing else we can do when it sits at that point. But for those today, Lord, who may be able to make that reconnection, I pray, give them the grace and the strength to do that, Lord. And may we see uh, restored relationships through that. May we see Jesus honoured and glorified through those relationships. And maybe it's, if it's with an unsaved brother or sister or family or friend, uh, Lord, maybe that might be the circumstance that you use to bring them to faith. Lord, for the ones who don't want to connect, the ones who still refuse, Lord, to even if we make that olive branch um, offer to them and they still don't want to connect, I pray, give us the grace to accept that, Lord, as hard as that is. Lord, our heart's desire is, as your second commandment says, to love our neighbour as ourselves. 
to love these people, Lord. Try and work through these disagreements and keep our relationships intact. Lord, today we ask for that grace now and we pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 